Welcome to OsteoCast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brokel, Amanda Boysen, and Sarah Pucal. Welcome back to OsteoCast, your favorite osteopathic podcast, with your hosts, myself, Sarah, Amanda, and Colby. Good morning, y'all. What's up? Hello, hello. Good morning. So we have our final part of our topic of the month of headaches and migraines, and it's going to be answering your questions. So these are questions we've received on the social as well as in clinic. And then we're also going to let you know what our topic next month will be. So we're going to start it off. First question is, why do you get headaches at night? Right on. So a couple things with this one, I guess different reasons for different things. If you're getting headaches during the night or before bed are kind of two different things. Um, But we'll talk about during the night with this one or if you're waking up in the morning with a headache that kind of formed overnight. Um, Usually it has to do with your body's underlying tone uh, in the autonomic nervous system. So parasympathetic or sympathetic control. So when you sleep, the body tends to slow down. Everything goes to more of a rest and digest phase because the body's trying to heal itself and regain some energy, trying to quiet down and recover. So what happens is that if there's a change or if there's already something faulty as far as tensions go or pressures go, as we've talked about previously, and getting fluid in and out of the head or wherever it may be, um, then that change over the night often can cause you to wake up with a headache. Uh, The other thing that happens in this case, it's even more simple than that, is your hydration levels. Is a lot of people during the night, they don't don't realize it, but they sweat quite a bit or perspire quite a bit. And because they're breathing, they let a lot of water out as well. So if you're not hydrated going to bed and or hydrating yourself as soon as you're getting up, you'll often wake up with a headache and or that'll go throughout the day if you're not hydrating appropriately. So making sure that you're hydrated each and every day before you're going to bed as well. And then getting up in the morning, starting with some water is going to be helpful for that as well. Um, If you're having headaches before you go to bed, I mean, obviously outside of the, like you're too tired or hydration levels or food levels and things like that. um, I think it kind of relies to the same thing in, in terms of the autonomic nervous system, but also these days anyways, I think a lot of people before bed, they kind of wind down and they watch TV or they play on their phones or they lay or sit funky on a couch or whatever it is. I know with a couple of patients of mine, this has been it, especially one of them was uh, learning a language and laying on their tummy in bed with their neck very like hyperextended doing playing on their phone basically. And they were getting a headache every night while doing that because of the position that they were spending, you know, an hour or two in. So Headaches during the night, generally speaking, is going to be autonomic-based or hydration-based for for my experience anyways. I'm sure there are other things that can play into it. And then before bed can range in the exact same things. Um, But I find it's a lot of screen time and bad positions for the neck because of how people are sitting or laying. What do you guys find for that or what do you guys think? Nice. That made a lot of sense. I think that was well said. The one piece I just want to add about hydration, and these are conversations I have with clients often, is that... When we're talking about drinking water, we're not talking about like going and drinking two liters of water before you go to bed to make sure you're hydrated overnight. It's like you need to be drinking water consistently throughout the day yeah, um, in smaller amounts. And there's there's also something to be said for the fact that um, water follows like an osmotic property. So if you're drinking too much water, 
um, you might be getting more and more thirsty because of that. So you also want to monitor your water intake. A good way to do that is through the color of your urine um, and just make sure you're drinking water throughout the day. So tell us about the colors, Mandy. Um, so generally speaking, you want your, your pee to be clear um, in terms that you can see through it. So it's not like a really dark yellow color, um, but you also want to make sure that there is some color to it. So if you're just, if it looks like water, you probably have too much um, and you're kidneys are working hard to basically create that urine. But if it's coming out a watered color, you probably have enough um, and you need to pull back a little bit versus whereas if it's really, really dark yellow, um, you definitely need to be drinking more water um, to kind of bring that into like a light yellow. Yeah. Pale yellow. Beauty. I agree. I forgot to mention the, the volume of water in that especially if you're someone who has to get up in the night and pee a whole bunch of times and you have to make sure that you're drinking throughout the day and possibly limiting it a little bit before bed. But the most important thing, as Amanda said, is the overall hydration level. Because yeah. otherwise you're going to throw off your sleep cycle just to get up to go pee. Yeah. Or and pee We don't want bed. that either. So, yeah. We yeah, don't want that, that either. <laughs> None of those sound good. No, not at all. No, no. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more to add on that. I feel like you guys covered everything. And that almost – that Colby already took us into our next question, but it was how can I prevent headaches, which I feel like was touched on with the hydration and also mechanical positioning. So just being a bit more aware of your body and space and how you are spending your time and what position you're in. So noticing anytime you get a headache, if you're in a specific position, wherever that might be for work, for in bed, on the couch. For sure. Like paying attention to to the patterns. Yeah, exactly. Just pay attention to where your head position is. Ears should always be kind of over your shoulders. So if you've been sitting at your computer for a long time and your ears are ahead of your shoulders, that's, I mean, that's that extension that we're talking about, but also creates a change in blood flow or can over time. Well, and this is super specific to like, and it's a lot of work and sometimes overwhelming to people. But if you're someone who has headaches all the time, whenever you get a headache, just jot down quickly on a note on your phone or on a notebook and just say like what you're up to and what you're doing at the time. Cause then over the course of a couple of weeks or a couple of months, depending on how frequently you get them, uh, then you can start to see a little bit of a pattern where all, all of a sudden you're starting to notice that it's always around lunchtime or it's always at bedtime or it's always after you've gone for a walk or whatever it may be. And that way it'll give you a little bit of an inclination as to why it's happening. But um, prevention wise, obviously, as we've talked about already, you know, proper sleep, proper nutrition, proper hydration, paying attention to your posture and positions and stuff. And then obviously as an osteopath, I have to say, uh, get treatment if you have them, because that will help you get rid of them and prevent them in the future. If it's a structural issue or a positional issue that you can't take care of on your own, then that's going to come or get better with some help from a professional. So go seek some help from a professional, help you out in that standpoint. Exactly. I just want to say one more thing about um, writing information down. That is also a really great tool to see if there's been any changes in why those headaches are there, because that might be a red flag for treatment if there's been a significant change. For sure. Um, if you are monitoring and recording those things. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I think our next question is one we've kind of touched on maybe in podcasts before, um, but I would say that it's a super common thing that I hear people say. Um, and so I'm in, 
very excited to chat a little bit about this, but the question is, why do I get headaches with the change in weather pressure? So I'm sure you guys have clients that come into the clinic and say, oh yeah, I always know when the, when the pressure is going to change, or that's always when I seem to get my headaches or. Yeah. You hear it all the time. Um, Like sometimes it's headaches, sometimes it's knees, sometimes it's a back, like the change in pressure tends to cause some issues for anything for a lot of people and exaggerate some of the problems. Why would it do that, Colby? I was going to leave that to you, Mandy, but fair enough. Oh, are you? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> we can talk about it a little bit. So, I mean, I'm no expert. I'm no meteorologist, that's for sure. But uh, as far as it goes with weather changes and, and changes in pressure is that we always assume that our body is its own thing and pretty much the world revolves around us as an individual, but our body has to deal with the pressure put on us from our outside world, whether that's the changes in like atmospheric pressure, or if you're swimming, and I don't know if anyone's, you know, if you've been swimming in the ocean or a pool or in a lake or whatever, and you get down to 10 or 12 feet of water, you can feel the pressure and the weight of the water on your ears and on your chest as you dive down a little deeper. So we always forget that our body also has to resist or fight against the pressures of, you know, weather or water or whatever it may be. So when changes in pressure of weather changes, so say it's much lower pressure or much higher pressure, our body then has to adapt to that change in pressure if the swing is is large enough. Now, usually you won't notice the the change unless there's already something in the body that's causing some trouble or some stress on the pressures in the body. If the body has trouble adapting to different pressures because of something that's going on, usually those are the people that are going to notice that. So the change in weather pressure just essentially is going to change the pressure either like this is with big air quotes with either like compression or expansion on the body as a whole. And then the body has to deal with that, whether that's in our own fluid systems or structural positions or whatever that may be. And then the the cascade of changes in that may cause headaches or may cause more pain in the knees or whatever that, that component may be. Your analogies are always so great. I love hearing them. Thanks, man. Would you do you ever equilibrate that to the inner ear? Like well, I know it's always we, part of it. we talk more of the inner ear when it comes to vertigo, but I feel like that would be a big part of it as well. Oh, for sure. Well, we kind of talked a little bit about this in our anatomy one. We talked about like just intracranial pressure and how it can change in CSF and um like more from an anatomical perspective. Um just that our bodies have to adapt to that pressure and those changes in whether that is the horizontal tissues of the diaphragms have to basically equalize the pressure across the body for a lot of processes to happen within our, within our system. So if there's a change in the anatomy or the functionality, then any outside force that puts stress on us is just going to change how we adapt to that. And that can go for, you know, if you're, if their function of your knee has changed and you're trying to do lunges or squats, right? The forces that are put on it has to be distributed throughout the body. And it's the same, whether it's pressure or it's a workout or for sure walking down the street. Um, to be specific to the inner ear, it's a, the, like as, as Sarah was saying, it's the exact same thing. It's these little like sacks of fluid and little bones in there. And as the pressure changes, outside pressure or inside pressure changes, it can affect how well those little bones will move as far as, you know, vertigo and dizziness and things like that. If there's more pressure, then the fluid in there may become a little thicker or a little bit more 
uh, or less able to move and it could cause changes in how the body senses itself as far as standing positions, dizziness, et cetera. And then that can lead to something like headaches as well. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. And then do we think there would be a genetic component with that as well? Because it feels like there's, you know, a specific set of the population that's much more sensitive to changes in pressure and, right, they can get their migraine or headache can be triggered pretty quickly, whereas other people, you get them once in a while, but it's not as common. Yeah. So so I actually went and looked this up because before we started because I didn't know for sure whether they had correlated this. And, yes, they've correlated a lot of headaches to be genetic. Okay. All right on. Interesting, eh? See, I was going to say I have no idea whether headaches are straight up genetic, but I would question knowing that if it's that the headaches themselves are genetic or if it's any of the other components of the body that can be genetic that may create some predisposition to it. True. Right. It's definitely interesting to talk about like um, function, posture, um, different body patterns or things that people have done growing up, which would contribute to, um, the shapes and the patterns that they form. So yeah, like if, yeah, it was interesting just to read that this is definitely for sure. Like if the genetics or hereditary components show like a, a flexion at the CD junction, which is the base of your neck that may lead to changes in pressure, changes in blood flow, all the other things we've talked about and essentially could cause headaches, but is the headache then genetic or is the headache just the uh, response from the genetic change in structure or position so that's kind of interesting i'd be curious to to learn more about it but i really don't know so yeah yeah i definitely think that's worth more of a discussion um maybe not right here is there's we aren't looking at research to kind of better understand that and make sure that we're supporting our opinion based off actual facts but it's just interesting to look up. Super interesting. Yeah, really interesting. That being said, though, I think that regardless of the genetic component, most people, if you're suffering from headaches, there's some things that can be changed in life, whether it's the environmental stuff like nutrition, hydration, or some treatment or movement patterns, it can probably improve it. Whether it will go away or not, I don't know. But I'm sure that if you have them, don't assume your headaches are genetic and there's nothing you can do because I'm sure that there's something you can do to help it. Oh, exactly. And that's the thing. Our goal is to help make your bodies run run better so that things feel better. Um, so it's not always that we're trying to cure or treat or um, fix a particular symptom or um, pain that you're having. It's that we're trying to get your body to work, run better so it can do the work itself. Yeah. So it's, it's cool, though, for people to know that there is, you know, you, they can do stuff at home and then also getting a bit of treatment just to check on that structure will make an impact on how they're feeling. For sure. And just obviously improve overall health and optimize their homeostatic balance so that when there are, you know, severe pressure changes, their body is better adaptive to that. Yeah, totally. All right. And we have one more question here. Are we ready to deep dive into that one? I think so. Uh, so this one's interesting and very specific. So why does my jaw hurt when my head hurts? So I know I see it in the clinic a lot where 
you know, someone will come in and they'll say they clench their jaw or they have jaw pain uh, or sometimes they don't mention their jaw and they just say they have headaches. And then with fur- further questioning and examination, you figure out, okay, you actually, you know, clench your jaw. You don't let your teeth sit separate. So you're really holding on in that TMJ joint through the masseter muscles as well. Uh, so I do think there is a relation there based off of the anatomy um, and as well as the cranial nerves, the trigeminal nerve comes right through that jaw right underneath it and then spreads out through the face. And I do find it seems to be related to people having more frontal migraines. I don't know if you guys have seen that as well or if that's just kind of a coincidence I've been seeing lately. Have I, I haven't been seeing specifically frontal headaches, but I definitely often find a change in how the jaw is moving functionally when people have headaches, for sure. I would agree. Is it ever a specific movement or just in general? So there's two joint or there's two movements to the TMJ joint, right? There's like a hinge and then a glide. So oftentimes one or the other is working or one side is completely closed or collapsed and the other side is actually moving more to allow for the the mouth to open. Um, so it's generally a combination of one of those two things, uh, but often in trying to fix or look at how that motion capacity works, you have to work from the neck up first or we're just working around the jaw and not finding a, 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 it might be a quick fix, but it won't be a lasting change if you're not taking care of the other pieces that influence the, the TMJ. Oh, totally. Um, I think in my experience with this too, just something to add to what was already said for, for you guys, um, is that the change in pressure or shape of the skull, looking at the skull with its small movements that it has in the cranial mechanism as like a balloon, when there's increased or decreased, decreased pressure inside or tension pulling on certain areas of it, um, the bones of the skull have to move a little bit to adapt to, to the positions. So I think that if you see the change in the position or shape of the skull, and when we say this, like this is like millimeters or micrometers, like it's a very small change, but I think that a rotation or a flaring of the temporal bone, which is where the jaw, like the mandible sits into, if that position changes, then some of the soft tissues in the area have to respond to that slight change in angle. So that joint is not sitting quite how it should. And I think that can sometimes lead to um, some jaw pain as well, or some some tightness in the jaw when you're having a, a headache or there's increased pressure or tension on the head. And just in saying that too, we talked a lot about the inner ear just before this, that soft tissue change can dive deeper inside and um, you can often feel like through the ear um, that there's a change as well, not only visually in where it's sitting, but how that tissue around the structure is moving. Oh, totally. We look at the jaw joint. It's like right there's the jaw joint, obviously the, the cranial mechanism, the ear, and then like a half inch from that is the top of the cervical spine. So there's so much going on there when it gets a, gets a change in effect. But And all of that stuff obviously affecting things like headaches and or jaw pain or neck pain or whatever else comes with it. But it's a really, really jammed up little area before we even start talking about like the nerve artery vein and lymphatic and stuff running through it. Well, and as soon as you have a pressure change there, right, the trigeminal nerve sits like right behind there. So that can then change the sensitivity 
to that nerve or change, you know, the threshold a little bit. So you might then find that you're more sensitive to different, different sensory inputs. For sure. Yeah. That's there. The Vegas, there's a whole bunch of them, right? Yeah. It's not just that one, but just interesting because that's so close in that proximity. Oh yeah. And you'll hear people complain too, or, you know, they, people get diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia and just different different inflammations and irritations of the nerves in the area. But again, if we go back to our principles and uh, anatomy and physiology rule, right, looking at our structure, uh, there's so much to consider. The OA joint, is it flexing, extending properly? Is there a compression through the neck that's going to affect that movement in the jaw? So going back to basics, going back to the our anatomy talk, um, so it's always really interesting, right, when clients come up with specific headaches or jaw pain, you know, specific complaints. But when you look at the full picture, it's you pretty much narrow it down and tell them what's happening from a structural perspective and explain why they would have that type of pain based off of the lack of mobility or in specific areas of the neck and the head. For sure. Which I find is really empowering too for the patient. Very nice. Does anyone, do you have any more questions or anything we want to add? No, I think that's pretty good. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of other questions and some people listening will have other ones. And if you guys do shoot us a message on Instagram at osteocast underscore on Facebook, and we can go through those questions with you guys uh, individually, or if we need to put together a podcast in the future about some more questions, you know, then we can, of course. But otherwise, uh, I think that's about it for us or for me anyways. Awesome. I don't have anything else to add. So Sarah, do you want to introduce our next topic? Of course. So get (laughs) ready. Next week, we are talking all about, drumroll please, (laughs) skin conditions. So this one, I think we're all quite excited for. It's going to be quite interesting. I think most people in their life to some degree have had some type of skin condition whether it was just an allergic reaction in a hive breakout, or maybe you had some acne growing up, eczema, psoriasis, we're going to talk about it all. So we'll first week or next week, we're going to break down um, that initial topic and just explain where we see this present presented in the body. And if there's a osteopathic connection to having a different type of skin issues. Sweet. I like it. So again, if you have any questions around that or you have uh, anything you want to hear discussed, make sure you shoot us a message, as already mentioned, at osteocast underscore on Instagram. And you can also find us on Facebook. Perfect. And thanks for listening. And we'll chat with you next week. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.